0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the very first episode of Youth Politics in Action, a podcast created by Youth Political Assembly to engage youth in insightful conversations with local politicians. My name is Paul Washa, and I'm a journalist for the YPA, and I'm your host for today's episode. Today, I'm joined by someone who made headlines as he joined the Ontario Parliament as an MPP through a by-election in Niagara West in 2016. Having been a critic of digital government and currently serving as a parliamentary assistant to the Minister of Education, today's guests began walking down the halls of Queen's Park at the age of only 19. So without any further ado, it's my pleasure to welcome MPP Sam Osterhoff to our podcast today. Mr. Osterhoff, welcome and thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to join us today.
1: Thanks so much for inviting me to the podcast.
0: Amazing. So our team has worked hard compiling some questions for you that will actually help youth like ourselves envision a career in politics and hopefully even get to talking about some of your party's visions. So if it's all right for you, shall we get started? Absolutely. Great. So in 2016, you made head's turn in the Ontario Parliament when you decided to run for MPP of Niagara West, ultimately securing the position. At the age of 19, you became one of the youngest members of the provincial parliament that the Ontario legislature has ever seen. Can you please describe your journey into the world of politics, and did you always envision yourself as a position of MPP?
1: Yeah, that's a great question, and the answer is no, I didn't always envision myself as an MPP. In fact, growing up, uh, I saw uh, the need for political activism, and I was always uh, watching what was going on uh, in different levels of government, whether provincial, municipal, or federal, Uh, And I always saw also the importance of the courts in interpreting that law. And so I actually planned on becoming a lawyer Uh, growing up. I planned on being a constitutional (laughs) lawyer, uh, defending things like freedom of speech, religion, expression and the like, uh, and speaking out for some of the most vulnerable in society. However, um, I was asked to serve in the 2015 election as a as a volunteer coordinator. So I worked on a campaign actually in Alberta. Um, And Mm -hmm. I, after that time, was offered a position on Parliament Hill as a staffer, a junior staffer. So I worked as a junior staffer. I was only uh, 18. And so I did that for a year. And at that point, uh, Tim Hudak, who was the former member for my riding, uh, stepped down from his position. And what ended up happening was uh, I was trying to actually recruit some other people to run in the by-election to run for the nomination mm-hmm. of the Conservative Party. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, there wasn't really anyone who stepped forward who I felt had had a vision for uh, the future and really who was willing to speak to people where they were at, go out and knock the doors, talk to the people and represent their issues uh, and, and show that there was room for principled conservatism uh, in, in the legislature. So uh, at the urging of some friends, as well as consideration and a great deal of uh, prayer, I stepped into that, uh, that role and ran a campaign uh, assisted by family members friends and and political uh, associates and and the rest is history as they say
0: well congratulations that sounds like quite the journey but getting into politics at such a young age and managing everything that's going around in your life must be challenging too so how do you balance your family life and your school life and being in the public eye all at the same time
1: yeah, it's a great question. Uh, and, uh, you'd have to ask my wife, I guess probably almost more than myself. I'm also currently, so I'm the parliamentary assistant to the minister of education. I'm also the only government member in the Niagara region. The other ridings are all held by the opposition party, the new Democrats. Uh, and so I have about half a million people that I, I serve on, outside of my riding and beside my riding. And so that is quite a bit of work. Uh, I'm also at McMaster part-time taking political science, working towards my, uh, undergrad degree. Uh, and actually, my wife and I are expecting a child. So we're very excited. Congratulations. Uh, yeah, so it's been a busy few years. I'm 23 now, just turned 23. And so it's been almost four years since my election. Uh, and I find it's important to take some personal time. I always take Sundays off uh, unless there's an emergency or something really urgent. Uh, and that's time for time with family, time for worship, and just time to recalibrate and uh, and make sure I, I uh, spend some time in meditation and getting ready for the week ahead.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think we can all take a little from that and recognize how important it can be to manage our time and everything we do and, you know, ensure that we give our best, especially when serving the people. So, um, Mr. Ersterhoff, I know that you work with the Ontario Ministry of Education and Minister of Education, Stephen Lecce, as um, a parliamentary assistant, but would you be able to explain your role and some of the duties that come with it so that our listeners can get a better understanding of one of your current positions?
1: Absolutely. So, I serve as the parliamentary assistant where I assist the Minister of Education, in this case, Stephen Lecce, uh, with areas that come up in the legislature. So, for example, uh, preparing for question period, uh, helping shepherd legislation through uh committee stages in the chamber, uh, also speaking to issues of education that come up when the minister can't be there. I also uh, do work on Uh, assisting with other members who have questions, and if the minister can't get to them, I do a lot of caucus outreach. I lead caucus consultation calls to hear from caucus colleagues about what they're hearing in the riding. I also sometimes lead uh, consultations across the province. I held uh, a a lot of different Zoom consultations for the school reopening uh, through the course of June and July, uh, heading into our plan to reopen schools this fall. Uh, Another part of my role is also uh, doing media, so I'll do regional media outlets. If the minister uh, can't make it to those areas, I will go and do announcements on behalf of the minister. For example, announcing new schools or renovations or or childcare centers, depending on what comes up, uh, and generally just being there to assist with special projects as well. So things like student transportation review that I'm I'm working on, uh, and and uh, particular areas, for example, uh, the French language area. Uh, I'm not fluent, but I do speak French and the minister uh, does not. So he has asked me to, to take that role on and, and recognizing some of the unique needs in that community. Uh, so there's a number of different areas like that, that I've been able to work on, including things like uh, assisting with special education students and, and ensuring we have access to service animals in schools. So there's been some things I'm very proud of to have been able to uh, help various ministers because I started with Minister Lisa Thompson uh, in 2018. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, that sounds like a lot of amazing responsibilities that you have um, on your plate. And uh, you mentioned a little bit about school reopenings, which actually leads me into my next question, which, um, as I'm sure you know, that many parents and educators are concerned with returning to school. And frankly speaking, students like myself are having some doubts about our safety at school amid the COVID-19 pandemic as well. So our question for you is, how are the Ministry of Education and the Ontario government going to ensure the health and safety of all students returning to school in September in regard to the pandemic and also student well-being?
1: Absolutely. So hugely important, the health and safety of our students comes first and foremost, and we would never send students back into class if we didn't believe it was safe. And the reason we are uh, taking the steps that we are is because it's based off of the advice of Ontario's top doctor, the chief medical officer of health, uh, epidemiologists, disease control experts and pediatricians. Uh, None of us are are health experts. Uh, I'm not. The minister isn't. uh, Neither is the premier. And that's why we really lean very heavily on those who are experts in their field. So Dr. Williams, Dr. Yaffe uh, and others who are working with advice of sick kids have come forward with uh, what we believe is a robust plan supported uh, by things like cohorting, uh, contact tracing, maintaining, uh, masking, uh, ensuring that there's sanitation supports, including uh, extra supports for for students with special needs, including uh, extra funds uh, made available to school boards to hire more staff, as well as improvements into uh, the online learning capacity of our system so that students can learn online if that is where they, themselves or their, their parents feel most comfortable um, having them learn in that that method. So really, I think it's important to know also that We have had really, really good uh, numbers in Ontario when it comes to the transmission of COVID-19 over the last few months, especially. We've seen those numbers steadily uh, decrease and stay at a very low level when compared with every other jurisdiction of a similar size uh, we have really really good numbers and so we won't hesitate to shut schools down if there are in fact outbreaks that that uh, lead to that case in a particular school but the vast majority of the province uh, has been excellent at working with the guidance of the ministry of education school boards and our partners to make sure uh, that kids are being kept safe.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, trust me when I say that, it's really great to hear that. But we still feel that even after extensively going through the plans, um, some parents and students are still feeling a little anxious with the reopening plan built um, by the government. So would you have any advice for these parents who are sending their children back or for students like myself who will be attending school in September?
1: Yeah, I think my first response would be we have to make sure we don't let fear be our master. Uh, we have to look at the science, the evidence and the data. And the reality is uh, medical experts uh, across the province have said this is a robust plan. Uh, it's, it's extremely strong. Uh, it's well funded and it's supported by the best scientific evidence that we have before us. And so it's important that we look at those factors and realize that just like you would listen to your medical doctor, Uh, the medical community agrees that this is a strong plan. And so, you know, it's not the plan of the Minister of Education. It's not my plan. It's not Premier Ford's plan. It really is a plan uh, based off of the best health advice that we can possibly find.
0: Mm -hmm. I think that's some some great advice. And we hope that the plan does go through and everything is safe for students returning um, back to school in September. So seeing as we're quickly approaching the 2022 Ontario general election, I think there are many issues that youth are passionate about and are seeking support from politicians for uh, regarding equity in our province and making sure that everyone is given what they rightfully need and also deserve. So what are some issues that you are passionate about and will be fighting for in the upcoming elections?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, students and young people, as well as all Ontario, have important rights and they have important privileges but they also have responsibilities uh, and that's important to consider as well and so uh, one of the issues that I'm going to be fighting for is ensuring that we have equitable access to a labor market where uh, you know young people are able to access jobs they're able to access the training they need for those jobs in areas such as the skilled trades or in in tech in uh, in the various areas that that they're passionate about, but also giving them the tools to be able to get into those fields and to succeed. Another area that I think is very important is uh, fiscal sustainability, because at the end of the day, you and I are gonna be paying with our taxes, the billions and billions of dollars of debt that we currently have. And that can really act like a mortgage on our future if, uh, if we're not taking necessary steps to ensure uh, that that's being addressed. Another area I think that more and more we see as a culture uh, that concerns me is that we have a cancel culture where if we disagree with someone, we try to shout them down. If we don't like what they're talking about, you know, we'll unfriend them, unfollow them uh, and ask, uh, you know, maybe even dox them. I've been doxed. My family's been doxed. I think that's a really toxic culture uh, that we've created, unfortunately. And what we need to do is encourage space for open and honest dialogue and conversations, even among people who may disagree vehemently on issues that they're very passionate about. But to be able to create that space and allow sunlight, which I always say is the best disinfectant, uh, to to um, come into those conversations and create meaningful collaboration moving forward.
0: Yeah. And as youth, I think that's extremely important, uh, everything that you've just mentioned. And we really appreciate when politicians representing us and our opinions are clear with their pl- platforms and um, especially with issues such as uh, cancel culture, like you mentioned as well. So thank you for that. Uh, Mr. ostroff but many youth find that their voices aren't heard enough still. And even when we do get a seat at the table um, in larger discussions, many of our opinions aren't taken into full consideration, which inevitably drives a large amount of youth away from politics. And seeing that youth representation, no matter one's political affiliations, is, uh, of course, something to be proud of, um, because after all, we all deserve a voice on issues in our communities. And especially now, there are a lot of uh, dismissed social justice issues that we see arising more than ever before. So my final question for you today is, do you have any regrets so far in your political career? And would you have any advice for other youth who are wanting to go into politics at this point?
1: Yeah, you know, I, I have had one regret. I think there was a piece of legislation already a couple of years ago um, that I felt wasn't good legislation, that I, I felt infringed on freedom of expression and, and, and the ability to uh, share views, even again, if those views were controversial. And I, I abstained from the vote on that uh, on that piece of legislation and I should have vote come to the legislature and voted against it. Uh, I was on a, on a tour at the time and, and didn't make it. So that is a regret I have. But my advice to young people would be to get involved. I mean, the reality is a year before I was sitting in the legislature, I was working on a campaign, uh, you know, filling out uh, campaign literature, getting the campaign literature ready for volunteers, making phone calls, asking people to come volunteer for the candidate I was supporting. Uh, and it doesn't have have to be someone who has a a wealth of background in uh, business or academics or anything like that. You can become a member of a political party in Ontario at the age of 14. You can buy a membership, you can vote, you can join your local riding association where they select who the candidates become for the upcoming election. Get involved by uh, asking your local candidates if you can uh, help them out, but also you know, what they're bringing forward to you as a a young person. And also recognizing that there are a lot of issues that are perhaps unique to youth, but there are also a lot of issues that youth can speak to uh, in a way that doesn't necessarily uh, only pertain to youth, but might have a unique perspective. I I always say, you know, I wouldn't want to have a legislature full of 19 year olds, but I also wouldn't want to have a legislature full of 80 year olds. And it's important that we have uh, those different voices. So uh, making the ask, being willing to go out there and do the work, uh, nothing's going to come to you on a silver platter. You have to go out and make it happen. And that that's as simple as volunteering with a campaign or considering becoming and running to, running to become a candidate yourself.
0: Oh, I definitely agree with that. And I think we can say that um, looking at the youth representation right now, uh, we definitely need to be creating more open and equitable environments. And I think that after that, a lot more youth will be able to get the opportunity to join um, these campaigns and get away from more um, like taboo topics and issues. So to end on that note, I just wanted to thank you on behalf of Youth Political Assembly for taking the time to come onto our podcast today. And we wish you the absolute best of luck for your future endeavors and hope to see how you further amplify issues that are of importance to us and our communities. Thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you so much, Paul Washa. It was my pleasure. Thank you for joining us for our first ever episode of our new podcast, Youth Politics Action, with host Paul Washa and guest MPP Samusarov. My name is Jake Carpuzis, and I am the president and founder of the Youth Political Assembly. Join us again two weeks from now when our next episode will premiere right here. For now, follow us on Instagram at the Youth Political
0: Assembly for news stories, opinions, explanations, and opportunities.